Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter number 15 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Man, what a blessing to be in the house of God with you. I'm thrilled that you're here, honored that you're here. You probably drove by a dozen churches before you got here, and we don't take that lightly. We're honored that you're here with us today. 2 Samuel chapter number 15. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know we're going to be uh, reading. Well, you don't know it yet, but I'm about to tell you we're going to be reading, uh, picking up in the middle of a story uh, that actually spans several chapters in the Word of God. Uh, and it details for us what we could call the rebellion of Absalom, uh, the son of King David. Uh, but I don't want to preach to you on Absalom this morning. Instead, I want to notice a few uh, lesser noticed characters uh, in this story. Second Samuel chapter number 15. And uh, the Bible uh, where we're picking up this morning, Absalom has wrestled the throne away from his father David. Uh, and uh, the Bible says in verse number 13 of this chapter, that there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly. Bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women which were concubines to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him. And all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, six hundred men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Idai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Idai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth and as my lord the king liveth, Surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also will thy servant be. David said to Idai, go and pass over. And Idai the Gittite passed over, and all his men and all the little ones that were with him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. What a blessing it is to be here, Lord. We've already been blessed and helped, strengthened, encouraged by the songs that we've heard sung and Lord, by the fellowship we've enjoyed and the prayer uh, that we've heard. And I just pray that this morning you would help us in these next few moments to lay our heart open before you, bare before you. Lord, allow, let us not fence off any areas of our life and tell you that you cannot touch upon those things or deal with those things. But Lord, may we instead lay ourselves open and say, Lord, we're yours. We're bought with a price. We belong to you. Lord, every bit of our life is open unto you to deal with us, to examine us, to convict us, to challenge and change us. Lord, we pray that as that work is performed today, we'd be obedient to the hearing. Lord, we would listen to what you have to say to us. May the Holy Ghost have free course and liberty to work in our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that every spiritual need would be met in this place today. There could be some, and it wouldn't be surprising in a group this size for there to be someone that's lost, Lord, and undone. I pray that you'd show them their need of Christ. And Lord, surely there's some in this room that are discouraged, 
some, Lord, that are worried, some, Lord, that maybe even have been uh, puffed up, have been uh, drawn up in haughtiness. I pray, Lord, that whatever the issue is in our life, if we need to be a base to basis, Lord, uh, if we need to be encouraged, encourage us, if we need to be convicted, convict us, but whatever the need is, may we be willing, may we be malleable and moldable to You. And Father, may Your will be done in our lives. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've already said in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we are picking up in the middle of the story of the rebellion of King David's son Absalom. Now, you could go back and read several chapters prior as to the events that surround this. There was an abuse that took place uh, between uh, Absalom's sister Tamar and one of David's other sons. He abused her. He hurt her. He uh, he harmed her. And Absalom never forgave that. He uh, plotted a means and a conspiracy whereby he could kill that man and uh, then had to flee into exile for a number of years and live amongst the Gentiles, uh, amongst the uh, Philistines for that period of time. Finally, through the machinations of Joab and and his cunning and his wisdom, he sort of managed to get David to bring his son back out of exile. But even when Absalom is brought back, he's still not really brought back into fellowship. For two years he lives in Israel and does not see the face of his father. But when you begin reading in chapter 15, you find a turning point. Absalom goes from just being a bitter and petulant child uh, to being an active conspirator against his father. At the beginning of chapter 15, he devises a way that he can win the hearts of the children of Israel. He whispers in their ears that the judgment and justice of David is not enough, that he'd be a better king, uh, that he would rule them uh, better, and that they would be benefited by him being their authority. And it does not take long. Let me say this, when the devil starts whispering in your ear, it does not take long. Uh, I mean, in 12 short verses, the kingdom goes from David to Absalom. And let me say, in your life and mine, when we give our ear to the devil and allow him to whisper in our ears and whisper in our hearts, when we will give credence and give ear to the things he tells us, it won't be long our affection will be turned away from the true king and turned to a false king. We will quit loving the one that bought us, that saved us, that died for us, and we'll start letting all manner of things take the throne in our heart. But down in verse number 13, news finally reaches David that the kingdom has been lost. Uh, he is told that the hearts of the men have turned towards Absalom. And David rises up and begins to flee with all of his servants. And when you read these chapters, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you'll find a period of time in which there's a false king ruling. Uh, the true king is fleeing. But there are some faithful, some not so faithful servants of King David that are still following him and some of them abandoning him. And this is a time of great upheaval for the nation of Israel. But when I read this chapter, I don't only notice a time of great upheaval for the nation of Israel, but in many ways I find a picture of the circumstances that you and I are living in today. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, I think if we look at this a certain way, we will find a parallel to the church age. For instance, the Bible tells us in verse number 13, there came a messenger to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. This was a time in Israel's history uh, where a uh, the rightful king had been rejected by the people. David was God's king. Somebody say amen there. Uh, he was the man after God's own heart. He was the man that God had chosen to rule. 
But instead of ruling in Israel, he is rejected in Israel and there's another king sitting on the throne. Can I tell you this? No matter what happens in this world that we're living in, the Lord Jesus Christ is still King of kings and Lord of lords. But I think anybody looking around and being honest would have to acknowledge uh, that if the Lord Jesus were uh, exercising and exerting His sovereignty over every single matter, the world wouldn't look the way that it does right now. Uh, every few years there will be some tragedy. People will lament where God is at. But I'd remind you that as a society largely, we have kicked the rightful king out of his place in our society. And this began 2,000 years ago when he was nailed to a cross and it exists even to this very day. Christ made abundantly clear to his disciples uh, that they hated Christ, they'll hate him, that they have a uh, bitter, virulent hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand we're here, we're living in the West, we're living in a place where you throw a rock and hit a Baptist church, but make no mistake about it, the world is still openly hostile towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a rightful king, but right now, he is a rejected king. It was a time when the rightful king was rejected. But then notice what it says, verse 14. David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. This is interesting. The rightful king has been rejected and he is fleeing. Verse 17 says that he tarried in a place that was far off. He's no longer in the kingdom, but there is a pretender to the throne. There is a usurper upon the throne. I would say it this way. The rightful king has been rejected, but there is a rebel king that is ruling. You know, the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that Satan is the God of this world. Uh, if you want to know whose uh, feet to lay all the chaos of this world at, don't lay it at Jesus' feet. Uh, they're not following His kingship. Uh, don't lay it at the feet of God, for God has been rejected by man, but lay it at the feet of the One that truly exerts power and influence over this world. That is not the Lord Jesus, but that is Satan Himself. Now somebody's going to say, well, preacher, I thought God was in charge of everything. He is in charge of everything, but any of y'all that have ever worked in management knows that uh, you may be in charge, but that don't mean you're the one that always messes everything up. Amen? Uh, the Satan is the one that is exerting control in this world. So in other words, the rightful king is rejected. He has departed. He's no longer in the kingdom. And there is a rebel king that is ruling in his place in cruelty, in anger, in viciousness. He's actively persecuting the followers of David. Just like today when the Lord Jesus Christ, He is not physically bodily present on this earth. He was rejected by this world. He came unto His own and His own received Him. Not light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They nailed Him to a cross. He rose the third day, ascended up to heaven. The rightful king is not here right now. A rebel king is ruling, causing chaos in this world. But i got news for you. The Bible says down in chapter 19, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, I'm going to read one verse. But uh, I'll tell you how this whole thing ends. Verse number 15 of 2 Samuel 19 says this, So the king returned and came to Jordan. So it's a time when the rightful king is rejected, the rebel king is ruling, but you mark her down, the rejected king is returning one day. That's exactly where you and I sit in this church age. The world has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. A rebel king, the devil himself, the father of lies, is exerting his pressure, his influence, his authority, his will in this world. But he will not rule indefinitely, friend. There's coming a day that the rightful king is returning and coming back to this world. 
Now here's the thought I want you to think about this morning. When we read through these next few chapters, we find that everybody responded to the exile of the rightful king in a little bit different way. Everybody had to decide, hey, when there's, when there's a regime change takes place, everybody's got to decide what side they're going to be on. How are we going to respond? How are we going to react? And whenever David fled from the kingdom, we find a myriad of different responses to his uh, departure and to his return. I want to preach to you maybe for a few weeks. I don't know. Not, not like in a row, like not unbroken. You'll get to go home. I promise. But I don't, I, I told people a while back, I quit calling series, series. I'm just preaching on something. We'll preach till we're done preaching on it. But you can go through and you can find seven different groups of people that reacted in different ways. I want to preach to you on this thought. The king is coming back. How are you and I living in light of that truth, of that reality? We find that whenever the king left, that there was still some servants. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Uh, listen, if all you do is watch the news and Facebook and every, 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 every dark and miserable thing you can find, you're going to get the idea that you're the only person around who loves God. You're going to get that Elijah syndrome. Uh, Elijah said, I even, I only am left. Well, of course he felt that way. He is in a cave. If he had walked outside of the cave, he might have found out there was somebody who loved God just like he did. We bury ourselves in a cave of despair. We're going to look around and say, I'm the only one who loves God. Well, yeah, dummy, the only one in the cave that, that is. If you'd leave the cave, if you'd look out, you'd find there's more people love God than just you. And we find that here in this passage, there was still some servants. Notice what it says in verse 15. It says, the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. There were still some folks that loved God. The way they felt about it was their station was unchanged. Notice what they call themselves, the king's servants. Now, whenever David talks about a king to a man named Idai, he's talking about Absalom. But you see, in the servant's eyes, there was no king but the true king. Hey, listen, I want to be careful how I say this. The Bible's very clear that we have certain civic responsibilities and God does not call us to be anarchists. God does not call us to be anarchists. God does not call us to be anarchists. It's not a biblical worldview. Uh, but understand that at the end of the day, in regards to the greater scheme of things, there's no king but one king. It ain't Caesar, friend. There's no king but one king. And as far as these servants, I mean, they said, hey, we as the king's servants when he is here, we're still the king's servants, though he is not here. Their station was unchanged. As far as they were concerned, their steadfastness was to be unwavering. They said, behold, thy servants are ready. They said, everything may be falling apart, but we ain't going to fall apart. We're going to be ready to serve the king. Can I say in these days when everything's falling apart, that don't mean you and I have to fall apart. I understand everything's going sideways, but that don't give you and I an excuse to flake out on God and to give up on Him and to quit trying to serve the Lord. Hey, the whole world may be shaken by what's going on, but we don't have to be shaken. We can stand ready. They said, hey, listen, I don't know if I'll serve you here or serve you there. I don't know if I'm going to be bringing you a roasted goose or going out and hunting you a deer, but whatever you need, my liege, we're here for you. We are ready to do whatever you want. And not only that, we see their service was unconditional. They said, we're ready to do whatsoever, my Lord, the King shall appoint. Because let me, and let me just say this. We're not really His servants and He's not really our King unless we're willing to do whatsoever. Whatever we want to call that relationship, it is not that of a King and His subjects unless we're willing to do whatsoever. And they said, far as we're concerned, we're still in this thing to serve you no matter what develops. When we go a little further, we're introduced to the first 
of these individuals. And he is a man by the name of Ittai. He is called a Gittite in your scripture, which bears significance. In fact, uh, we're told that all of the uh, people from Gath, the Pelethites, the Cherethites, and the Gittites had left Gath and had come and had sworn fealty to King David. One of these men was a man by the name of Ittai. And he approaches King David and he says to him in verse 19, Wherefore goest thou also, or the king says to him, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king. For thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. Now I want you to notice how Idiah responds. Verse 21. Idiah answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth and as my Lord the king liveth. He wasn't talking about Absalom. He was talking about David. He says this, Surely in what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also will thy servant be. If we were to describe the attitude of Idai to the exile of King David, we could describe it in this way, that Idai was a man that was faithful to follow. In fact, I would say this, it was the very exile of King David that had brought him from Gath to Jerusalem to accompany King David. Can I say this? We're living in a day where we're basically going to have one of two attitudes towards our relationship to the Lord Jesus in light of His absence in this world. We're either going to take that as license to live any old way we want, or we're going to take that as a responsibility to draw all the more closely to Him. Idiah was a man that determined that though the king may be rejected, Though the king may be in exile, though it might not be easy to stay close to the king, he said this, in these days I am determined to follow him ever more closely no matter what transpires. Gideon was a man that was faithful to follow. It's interesting, his name in fact means with or near. He was a man that was defined by the closeness of his fellowship with the, uh, with King David. Now in light of that, uh, you would think King David would be ready for any and everybody to come unto him. Uh, and of course he was welcoming to Idai. But King David's response is interesting. He does not say, hey, great, the more the merrier. Rather, he grants him the opportunity to save face and walk away, no hard feelings, and to go back to Gath. Instead, Idai says, I am determined to draw closer unto you. Can I say in these days, I don't want to be drifting further. I want to be drawing closer. It is, we live in a time where for some reason we think when there's upheaval that's an excuse to draw away. The Bible says, uh, tells us that in light of His coming, in light of His return, that we should be exhorting one another, provoking, well, we'll just go ahead and quote all of it. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is, but uh, exhort one another, provoke one another unto good works. And it says this, and so much the more as you see the day approach. Uh, there is sometimes a fatalist and, uh, and, and, uh, forfeiting attitude about the days that we're living in where people say, well, you know, preacher, everything's crazy. Uh, the world's just burning down around us and, and, and don't worry, Jesus is coming soon. All we gotta do is just run out the clock. That wasn't Idai's attitude. His mentality was not, hey, we're just hanging in. He said, my, uh, mentality is I'm drawing closer unto you. And I want in your life and mine, I want us to be drawing closer to Him in these days. Not trying to run out the clock. Not waiting for things to shake out. 
but pressing forward determined that I'm going to every day be closer in my walk with the Lord. Can I tell you this? The Lord's not going to make you walk close to Him. He's not going to force you to do that. You're going to have to make up your mind to walk close to Him. Idi, I was a man that was a Philistine. He was a man that was a Gentile. He was a man that was a Gathite. That's what a Gittite is. A dweller in Gath. You know who else was from Gath, right? Uh, Goliath, the giant, the very enemy of David was from Gath. Here's a man uh, that should have been slain by David. Here's a man that should have been laid low by David. Here's a man that should have been uh, ridiculed and, and ostracized by David. But instead, David shows mercy upon him, forgives him, draws him into fellowship, and Idai never forgot all the king did for him. Though he's a fellow citizen, a countryman of the very enemy of David, he had sworn allegiance to the rightful king, switched sides, and he said, that's my king and I'm following him anywhere. That sort of sounds like how you and I ought to be in this day. Because we likewise were fellow citizens of the enemy of God. We likewise were uh, were a blood-born family of the very enemy of God. Satan himself was our spiritual father. That's what the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you're of your father, the devil. And when God could have smote us, when He could have destroyed us, when He could have annihilated us, He instead showed mercy upon us, showed grace upon us, forgave us, took us out of the family of Satan and put us into the family of God. Translated us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. How could we ever forget all He did for us? And how could we ever follow Him from afar knowing that's the truth? I want you to notice three profound truths in this passage. I'm going to share them with you and then be done. It's going to be good for you, me leading the choir, because I'm all tuckered out now. I can't really preach that long. So uh, very quickly, I want you to notice these three truths and we'll be done this morning. First, I want you to notice that for Gideon, his liberty is granted to him. His liberty is granted to him. Again, you would think King David would be saying, hey, the more the merrier. We need more forces to fight against Absalom. I need more servants to minister to my need. But that was not David's attitude towards Idai. Instead, in verse 19, the king said to Idai the Gittite, wherefore goest thou also with us? He says, return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. In other words, the king said, Idai, no hard feelings. You're going to, if you're going to be here, Idai, you're going to be here because you want to be here. There's no hard feelings. If you want to turn around, go back to Gath. I wouldn't expect you to follow. You just showed up yesterday, Idai. I mean, you talk about bad timing. Uh, show up to visit the king, find out he's been exiled. Amen. Uh, he says, you can turn around and go home. No hard feelings. You know what that's called? That's called liberty. Can I tell you this? That's the kind of liberty that you and I have in Christ Jesus. I notice the sincerity of this. Notice the language he uses. He says, abide with the king. Now, David knows he's the rightful king. Idai knows David's the rightful king. But David wanting to truly ensure that he feels liberty to live however he chooses, to do whatever he wants, he instead acknowledges Absalom as the king. Why? Because even though David was the true king, if Idai was going to go back to Jerusalem, Absalom was going to be his king. And he didn't want him to have to immediately speak something treasonous against his king. You say, preacher, what does all this get at? It shows me that David sincerely wanted Idai to make the choice. Uh, let me tell you something. The, the world promises you liberty. The devil promises you liberty. Sin promises you liberty. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like that tolerance the world talks about, right? Tolerant until you're somehow out of the realm of their tolerance. They're tolerant of everything but what they define as intolerance, which coincidentally enough 
is disagreeing with them. It is a false sense of tolerance. You know, in the same way, the world promises you liberty to do anything you want as long as it's what the world wants. Sin promises you liberty as long as what you want to do is keep sinning. The devil promises you liberty as long as you continue to serve him. But the moment that you step a toe outside of the line of anything that the world, the flesh, or the devil wants, they no longer grant you liberty anymore. You feel the chains tighten around you. Can I tell you, whenever God saved you, He gave you real liberty. Real liberty. And real liberty means this, the liberty to do as we please. Not without consequence, but without coercion. Can I tell you, you have real liberty. The way the uh, Lord Jesus said it, He said, if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. If you don't believe you can be saved and be backslid, i got a list of people whose names I could give you. And I'm probably on your list, so don't look at me funny. I'm on a lot of lists these days. <laughs> but truthfully, the Lord Jesus, if you want to go out, if you want to live wicked, and if you want to bring hell into your home, and if you want to live in vileness and sin, you'll pay a consequence for it. But you sincerely have the option to do it if you should so choose. It might destroy your life. In fact, I won't say it might. It will destroy your life. But God is not going to force you to serve Him. He is sincere. When He says, you're free, you're free indeed, He means indeed. He doesn't mean you're free until you read the fine print. He doesn't mean you're, you're free, but terms, uh, service terms may apply. He doesn't mean you're free except in this way, except in that way. It's not this cheap veneer of freedom that's being peddled today. The freedom to do as I please. It's the freedom to do as you please. You want to live in sin and live and destroy your life, God will not stop you from doing that. You can live that way if you so choose. Now, somebody's going to say, Preacher, that's terrible. We live in a time where true freedom means somebody deciding for me what's best for me, right? Oh, that's okay. It felt good to say. <laughs> However you felt about it, that's all right. I'm not, I ain't mad at you. I hope you're not mad at me. I'm just saying freedom is not somebody else deciding what's best for you. That's not what freedom is. Freedom is the ability to choose what you believe is best for yourself. And always has been, except in these weird days that we're living in. Uh, and so when he offers freedom, somebody would say, well, preacher, that's unkind. If God knows what's best for us, why doesn't he force us to serve him? Well, we find the answer. Notice the strategy that's given here. In verse number 20, he says this, Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Notice what he says, seeing I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy breath. What was the strategy behind granting this liberty? He wanted Idai, if Idai was going to follow him, he wanted him to follow him because he wanted to follow him. He knew that his love and loyalty and devotion to him could not be sincere unless it was uncoerced. Just as God was under no obligation to love you or I, but out of grace and mercy loved us when it did not benefit Him, when it did not help Him, when it did not enrich Him, when it was not easy for Him. We can look at the cross of Calvary, uh, the horror of that day, uh, the ghastliness of that day, the cruelty of that day, and therein see the very love of God, uh, that God so loved the world that He gave, not that His Son was took from Him, but that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but of everlasting life. And God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can look at that voluntary expression of devotion and know that God sincerely loves us. Not because He had to, but because He got to. 
Why did David say, Idiah, if you want to go back, go back? It's not that he did not want Idiah to be with him. It's not that he did not want Idiah to follow him. It's that he wanted to make sure that if Idiah stayed, he was staying because he truly loved him and not because he felt like he had to. He said, hey, Idiah, I go where I want to. And I don't want anything less for you. I want you to make the choices in your life. This liberty is sincere. We see the sincerity of it. We see the strategy of it. But notice the guarantee of this offer of liberty. Notice what he says at the end. He says, mercy and truth be with thee. Now, I think sometimes we take statements in the Bible and we chalk them up to just being politeness, you know. I know a lot of times in the New Testament, uh, you know, Paul will talk about grace and peace be unto you. But understand, Paul may have been saying that as a greeting, but the Holy Ghost meant it for a reason. And in the same way, I can't really speak to exactly why David says what he says here. He may have meant this out of politeness, although I get the feeling that's not the case. I get the feeling that David is hearkening back to a moment in his relationship with Idiot, when he showed mercy upon him, instead of condemning him, instead of slaying him, he instead bestowed his pardon upon him. And he's saying, Idiot, that mercy that I had is still upon you. Then he says this, not only mercy, he says, and truth be with thee. He's saying it is a fact, Idiot, that I pardon you. And that fact cannot go unnoticed. In other words, he's saying this, you can look back to that day, Idiot, when I could have slain you, but instead I freed you. And I am hearkening back to that day and I'm reminding you that on that day I set you free and that freedom is still in force this very day. You say, preacher, you're telling me God would let a person get saved and then live any old way that He wants? Yes, He would. Now that doesn't mean He won't pay a consequence. It doesn't mean that God's not grieved by it. it. doesn't mean that God won't chasten Him when it's appropriate to do so. But God will not force Him to live a certain way. You know why that is? Because when He saved you, it was with no strings attached. He said, I'll pay the price. Not I'll pay the first installment and put you on layaway. He said, I'll pay the price. He said, if you'll come unto me, you'll go free. <laughs> Any that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He said, you come to me and you believe on the Son and the Son will make you free. And He meant it when He said it. I don't believe that any person that's genuinely, truly born again can sin without feeling guilt, without feeling shame, without feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I likewise believe this, that if we choose to live in disobedience to God, God will not prevent us from doing it because when He set us free, He truly set us free. He truly... That's not liberty like the world promises. That's not liberty like the devil promises. That's true liberty. But can I remind you of this? You say, preacher, what about those people that do go and live in that way? Well, you know, there's two things that always follow them. The mercy of God continues to follow. There may be times in your life and mine we see people living in disobedience and it may grieve us that God does not chasten them more directly or more severely. But can I remind you it's the very mercy of God that He doesn't chasten us daily? The mercy of God that, that floods our life, floods their life likewise. But can I also say this, the very truth of God that opened your eyes and mind to salvation follows them just as it follows us. They can't get away from the mercy of God, that's true. But they also can't get away from the truth of God. If you live in disobedience, you likewise are going to have to reckon with the truth of how sin affects your life. I see that His liberty was granted. Notice number two with me, that His love or His loyalty is declared. Verse 21, Idai answered the king. Now most people would have said, you want to pick the winning side, things are going the wrong way, I, I love you King David, but you call me when you get all this, all this rebellion stuff worked out and we'll have lunch. Instead, Idai answered the king and this is what he said. He said, as the Lord liveth, 
and as my Lord the King liveth, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also will thy servant be. So we can live any way we want. The question is, how should we live? If you're living your life based on what you can get away with, you're going to have constant misery and sorrow. Instead, you and I as believers ought to be striving not for the uh, lowest common denominator, but to the highest plane that we can reach. Paul said it this way, I press toward the mark for the prize. He didn't say of the low calling. He said of the high calling, didn't he? Of the high calling. Paul said, I've not yet attained, but I follow after. I press toward. And in your life and mine, we shouldn't be saying, well, I got liberty. I can live any old way I want. <laughs> There's no telling how much stuff grace has been blamed or uh, has been blamed on grace, right? Uh, people say, well, I got liberty, I got grace. Hey, listen, uh, liberty is not licensed to live disobediently. It, it, it does give you the opportunity to live as you please, but that's not why God gave you. He didn't give you liberty so that you could live the worst. He gave you liberty so that you could live the best. You remember He told His disciples, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. They probably couldn't live or walk no straighter than the Pharisees walked, but they could do it in sincerity and in love with the right motives. He says, uh, your righteousness ought to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And this is what we see in Idia. Idia says, I could walk away, but why would I? Instead, I want to stay close. Notice these things in his loyalty that he declares. Number one, he declares the foundation of his loyalty. Idiah, verse 21, answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth and as my Lord the king liveth. Now this is interesting language. Of course, that first word Lord is Jehovah. It is the proper name of the God of Israel. And he says, because I know there's a God and he's alive. And then he says, as my Lord the King liveth. Now somebody could say, well maybe he's talking about Absalom. No, because he says, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also will thy servant be. He ain't talking about Absalom. He's talking about David. He says this, as long as God's living, and as long as God's man is living, I want to be as close to God as I can be. He says, as long as the Lord is alive, and as long as His King is alive, I want to follow Him wherever He might be. Why was it that He had such affection for these two entities, for the God of Israel and for David? Well, the answer is found in His lineage. He is a Gaphite. He should have been condemned to die. You know why He wanted to follow David? David was the one that pardoned Hey, Absalom may have made promises to him, but David gave a pardon to him. Absalom may have sworn that he would give him fabulous cash and prizes if he would just follow him. But David was the one that when he could have slain him, I see said, I set you free. And I'd say this, what's the foundation of our loyalty to the Lord? Well, it's two things. One, it's the pardon that He has issued to our life, that He has saved us, that He loves us, that He has forgiven us. But number two, it is that He is the only true, living, rightful King of our life. Uh, it's interesting that he says, as thy Lord the king liveth, Absalom is the son of David. In I was essentially saying this, David, if you were to die, maybe I could swear allegiance to Absalom. But as long as you're alive, you're the rightful king. And he has no jurisdiction. He has no right. He has no authority, David, while you're living. He's saying, as long as you're alive, I'm going to follow you. So in other words, who has the rightful place of authority in our life? It ought to be the one that loved us, that bought us, that pardoned us, that saved us. And as long as He is alive, He is the one that we ought to bow the knee to. It ought to be enough that we have a living God, living Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming back, by the way, 
That ought to be enough to make us say, I don't want to stray from Him. Notice not only the foundation, but the faithfulness of His loyalty. He says, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will I serve Him be. Uh, almost like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament who wanted to magnify the Lord Jesus, whether by His life or by His death, he was resolved and determined no matter what in his life to make sure that the Lord Jesus would give glory. I would say this, that Idai's loyalty was total. It was not to a certain point. And the way you can tell that is he don't start serving Him when things are easy. He starts serving Him when things are hard. Christianity has taken a distinctly fair-weather spirit in modern days. We, we have certain things that we expect and know are right to do, and we'll do them as long as it's easy to do. As long as our family don't criticize us, as long as society don't criticize us, as long as a way is made for us, as long as we don't have to overcome obstacles. But the moment those things arise, the sad truth is far too many Christians are ready to quit the whole thing. To just walk away and say, well, I, you know, it was right then, but everything's different now. That's not the kind of loyalty that it I had. He fully expected to have to die in his following of the Lord. And let me say this, and I want you to really hear me out. If you're going to follow him the way you ought to follow him, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to self, ain't you? You're going to have to die to self if you're going to follow him. Isn't that right, Brother Ken? If we're going to follow him the way that he deserves to be followed, we're going to have to die to self to do it. Eddie, I said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I have The die is cast. My mind is made up. I'm not turning back. If this means my death, so be it. There's worse things than death. There's worse things than death. There's worse things than death. I'm only telling you this because there's people that tell you there's nothing worse than death. But the biblical worldview is there are many things worse than death. And one of them is disappointing the Lord Jesus. He says, hey, listen, I, whatever it costs, wherever it takes me, wherever I go, I'm willing to. To go, we see the faithfulness of his loyalty, but notice the fullness of it. This is amazing. Verse 22, David said to Idai, go and pass over. And Idai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the little ones that were with him. So his loyalty did not just extend to him, it extended to those that he had influence with. The Bible says his men went with him. So he didn't just say, hey, I'm going to follow the king. He looked around all his fellows and said, as long as I'm paying your paychecks, you're going to follow the king too. And then he went a step further. The Bible says all the little ones. He didn't just have himself. He didn't just have his men. He had their families and his families. He had little ones in tow for whom this journey would have been agonizing, would have been treacherous. But he says it'd be better to go with the king than to stay with a false king. Hey, listen, how full is our loyalty to him? How full is our loyalty? Uh, does it just go, does it go a little ways? <laughs> Or does it go all the way? Eddie says, no, I'll follow you wherever. And people would have called him foolish. They would have said, you're endangering your children doing that. But he said, hey, listen, the king can take care of us. The king can take care of us. People would have said, Eddie, you're crazy. This might be the end of your family. Better they die for the rightful king than they bow before a rebel king. Better that they die in the service of the true king than thrive under the service of a false king. He says, I'd lot rather them spend, if, if all they do is spend a few weeks under the real king, I'd rather them have that than spend all their days under a false king. Let me tell you as a parent, and I am a parent, uh, let me tell you that as a parent, uh, if, all, if, we, if we can just get them under the real king, even if it's just a few years, even if it's just a little time, 
said, preacher, but they're going to go out in the world. And yeah, and they're going to make their decisions. And I know that. They're going to go out into the jurisdiction of that rebel king that rules this world in violence and cruelty. You say, preacher, what can I do about that? Get them under the real king for as long as you can. I see his loyalty is declared. And finally, I want you to notice that his love is rewarded. Turn with me over to chapter 18. I want to read five verses, make a few statements, and we'll be done. So David gives him true liberty. He says, you can go back, you can live any way you want, you can abandon me if that's what you want to do, and I will not stop you from it. Yeah, I says, you're crazy, why would I do that? You're the one that pardoned me, you're the one that saved me, you're the rightful king, the true king, the living king. I'd have to be out of my mind to walk away from you in this moment of need. How did David then respond? Chapter number 18, little time has passed. Uh, the battle has ensued or is about to ensue between David's men and Absalom's men. And the Bible says this in verse 1, David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, that's his nephew and general, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zerah, that's the brother of Joab, and another of David's nephews and generals. And it says this, and a third part under the hand of Idai, the Gittite. The king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us, but now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Idai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young men, even young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. Now let me ask you this question. Will our loyalty to the Lord Jesus be repaid? Will it be acknowledged? Will it be appreciated? Will there be a recompense given for it? I think we find a hint of it right here in our passage this morning. Notice how his love is rewarded. Number one, I would say this, he trusted him with the battle. It's an astonishing thing, isn't it, Brother Mike, that they immediately, I mean, David, this guy just showed up like yesterday. <laughs> he is a Gentile. He is the last person you would think they would be trusting. But you see, loyalty goes noticed with the Lord. It does not go unnoticed. He had proven that he was willing to imperil his entire family, his entire life to follow. So David says, though he may not have worked his way up through the ranks, that's the kind of man I want to trust in the moment of battle. In the moment when the battle is the hottest, that's who I know I can trust. In other words, we would say this. David said, here is a man that I will use in my service because of the loyalty that he showed to me. When we commit ourselves to follow the Lord more closely in these days, you know what you'll find? He'll put us in the very heart of the spiritual warfare. He will use us for His service, for His purpose, for His glory. You want to be used by God? Give your whole life to it. And you'll find He'll keep you busy. Most people that sit around lamenting that they don't have anything to do for God, it's because there's a big old long list of things they've already told God no about. They said, I'll follow you as long as it's not here and as long as it's not there and as long as it's not here. They give God a big old long list of possibles and say, uh, uh, Lord, I, I can't do any of these, but here's my list of what I'm willing to do. And God says, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in you being the best you. I'm interested in making you better than what you were in the first place. I'm not interested in you showing me how awesome you are. <laughs> I'm interested in you letting me make up the difference and you and your weakness serving in my strength and allowing me to be what you need me to be. 
And those that are willing to say, I will lay myself vulnerably to the Lord. I will give my everything. Could you imagine all it took for Idiot to take those little babies that he loved so dearly and say, we're going to trust the king with them. When he was willing to do that, the king said, this is a man I can trust with the battle. Not only that, he trusted him with the battalion. He gives him a third of his soldiers. He allowed him to have the command, the influence in the lives of other people because of the loyalty that he showed. You know what you'll find? That when we commit ourselves loyally to serve the Lord, to give our entire selves over unto Him, He will give us people in our life that will listen to us, that will hear us, whose lives we can make a difference in. Because if He trusts us with the battle, He'll trust us with the soldiers as well. And finally, and listen, I'm going to say this and be done because it's past time. I, I had more gas in the tank than I thought. Look what it says. <laughs> Verse number 5. The king commanded Joab and Abishai and Idai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. Now, I know Absalom's a rebel. I know he's a, a, a traitor. I understand that. But in David's heart and mind, he was still his son, and he loved him. Now, I've been preaching at you the whole time, saying I want you to think about Absalom as the devil, but I want you to just pause that for a moment and recognize that in this moment, Absalom is that which is most loved and most precious to David. And he says, Idai, if I could trust, if you trusted me with your little ones, I can trust you with my son and know that you'll do what's right by him. David gave the most precious thing to him that was most loyal. By the way, you know, it wound up being Joab that slew Absalom. It wasn't Idai. Idai knew what it was to trust another man with his child, trust another man with his heart, trust another man with everything that mattered to him. And because of that, he respected David's wishes. Listen, you want God to grant unto you the very depths of His heart, the intimate fellowship and relationship that we claim that we desire and we love? We've got to resolve ourselves to serve Him and follow Him anywhere. You'll find when we do that, you know what He'll do? He'll give us not only the battle and the battalion, He'll give us His beloved as well. He's given us His Son in the cross of Calvary and with Him given us all things. But if we want to know Jesus more, we need to swear our loyalty to the King and commit ourselves to follow Him no matter what. A lot of people uh, behaved in different ways when the king left. There was men like Idai and, and uh, Hushai and men like Zadok that behaved in the right way. There was men like Ziba, the servant of Saul, that behaved in the wrong way. I want to be like Idai was. I don't want to say, well, let's run out the clock. Let's see if we can have one or two good good meetings and you know, then just try to just wait it out till the trumpet blows. That's not. Listen, that shouldn't be your attitude or mine. We should be saying, I want to follow Him closer day by day. Let's bow together this morning. As a musician comes to play, the altar is open. Have you declared your loyalty to Him? Have you bowed the knee to Him? Have you said, Lord, whether in life or in death, I'm Yours? Have you said, Lord, all that I have, all that I own, all that is precious to me, I trust You with it. I trust You with it. And if you, have you resolved yourself that in these days when it's not easy, in these days when we face opposition, in these days many of you are facing things personally in your lives that the devil's trying to use to discourage and derail you, have you resolved yourself to follow him more faithfully and more closely? Father, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.